God is incredible. He's amazing. And wherever we welcome Him, He'll come. The power of God can move in your world today. Maybe it's been a while since you've connected with God at a deeper level. Might be a bit weird to kind of stand in silence and lift your hands before Him, but I'm telling you, wherever you say, God, I need you, He will come. We are, we're just about to start a series on the Beatitudes. In fact, this is the first week, and we're looking at the attitudes of Christ in us. And uh, really, the first attitude that we're going to look at today is that of humility. And when we come before God and say, God, I recognize my need for you, we become eligible to receive help. Father, I thank you. Holy Spirit, come. Fill every heart with hope and faith and joy here today. God, I thank you that the Spirit of God is here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Father, I thank you, Lord, there is breakthrough happening for people here today. There is breakthrough in relationships. There is breakthrough, Father God, in marriages, Lord God. God, there is breakthrough in businesses in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you there are breakthroughs in families' lives, Lord God. I thank you that kids are coming back to Christ. There are people here who have had their family kind of a bit disjointed. I'm telling you, God is going to move in your world the rest of this year. You will see the favor and goodness of God. This church is alive and filled with the power of God. We see every seat filled in the name of Jesus. Father God, I thank you for young people pouring into this church, Lord God. We lift up, Lord God, the Friday night service, Lord. We thank you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of university students coming in and coming to Christ every single week, Father Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your power is here today to transform in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a huge hand. Come on, let's really praise Him here today. Oh God, we worship You. Come on, let's just get crazy in this place. Just shake off apathy, tiredness, frustration. Give God all the glory and praise here today. God, we thank You, Lord. You're awesome in Your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Doesn't it feel better? It's to praise God. You may be seated. Give someone some sugar on the way down. If you don't know what sugar is, it's just a little, little side hug. Come on, just... just do that. Hey, uh, what a great morning we're having here this morning. Isn't it great to have our college students with us? Yeah. Stephen Thomas is an incredible man, and uh, it's so great to see so many great story, uh, uh, students here today. It was great. You guys were awesome. Elijah, thank you, man, for playing that song. I asked him to do that for my wife because she was here today. No, I didn't really, but, but, um, but I do like the way you work at TAM, which is awesome. Amen. Got to have fun in church, right? So good. Hey, uh, so yeah, we're looking at the Beatitudes, which is amazing. Um, and, and Jesus was radical in his stories and messages that he brought to earth. Uh, really, he, he brought a, a message and, a, and, a, and a, uh, a sermon often that was so counter to the culture they were in. It was like ridiculous. He would come and he'd say things like, repent and believe the kingdom of God is here. And it would just blow people's minds. The religious people, the people of the land, they were so bound up in religiosity, or they were so bound up in, in, in social oppression with the Roman Empire, and he came preaching and proclaiming a message of freedom and hope, not that would be coming, but that was there right now. He said the kingdom of God is here. He hadn't died yet, hadn't re been resurrected, hadn't come and redeemed people's souls, but he said he's coming with a message of freedom now. And I love this because we, we, we're coming with me uh, to Matthew 5. And this is, this is really the Beatitudes we're going to be looking over the next seven weeks. 
He says, seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in the heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amazing. These, these really are just uh, attitudes that he is describing a way to live and to see your life and to, to, despite your circumstances you're in, to actually just start to see your life as blessed, to change the way you think about what you're going through. Rather than being persecuted, he says, you're blessed. It's amazing. And so what Jesus is really describing is not a process for Christians to receive blessing, but a reality for Christians who live out these attitudes that as they live out what God had called them to live, how that God had called them to live, they would experience blessing. And as Christians, there comes a point in our life as we have been transformed by God that we need to start to live as God's called us to live. There is a point in our world where we can no longer be who we used to be. We have to become who God's created us to be. Have you ever been uh, tried to pretend to be something you weren't? You weren't. Uh, when I was a kid, I had great aspirations that I wanted to be a Jedi Knight, and um, because they were awesome, Star Wars. I grew up on it. I loved it. Any Star Wars babies here? The generation of the no. Fantastic. Well, I thought it was awesome, and uh, but I, but I, you know I would dress up and I had a lightsaber and I, I was I was Luke Skywalker and I was just dominating all the time. And, you know, as a kid, it's, it's, it's fun, it's incredible. I remember going uh, as, a, as, a, uh, as a young adult, I went to one of the, uh, the opening nights of the newest Star Wars, um, and um, it was amazing. I would go in there, and we went opening night, and so it was kind of everyone is excited, and, and these kids were coming, and they're all dressed up as little Jedi Knights. And, you know, when, it's, when you're a kid, it's cute to pretend. But then all of a sudden, I look to my left and to my right, and out of these corridors come these probably 30-year-old men, full cloaked, lightsabers ready. And I'm like, what is happening here? And we're in the middle, and they start to walk directly towards each other, and all of a sudden, they're making noises with their mouths, they're like slapping each other with this thing. And you know, when you're a kid, it's cute. But when you're an adult, it's weird. It's creepy. It's wrong. It's amazing, though, how as Christians, when we profess one thing, but we believe another. And there's just something not right about it. We carry freedom. We carry hope. But our attitudes and the way we see life doesn't line up. 
We are new creations in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the beautiful attitudes, the attitudes of Christ, they must pour out of our lives so that the new creation that we have become by faith starts to be evident in our lives and become a reality in our community. It's amazing. I'm a new creation. Say, I'm a new creation. I have a new identity. Come on, speak here. I have a new identity. I'm blessed. I'm whole. I'm healed. It's awesome. Amen. You know what? The very next verse in Matthew says this. It's so cool because he's gone on to describe, sorry, let me just backtrack, describing all these attitudes. He's saying, blessed are those who are like this. Blessed are those who are like this. Blessed are those who are like this. And then he goes on and he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? In other words, you have Christ in you. You have something in you that contains power. But if you are saying you have power in you, but you have lost that power, what is happening there? How will it be restored? He says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And can I tell you today, I believe that one of the problems we are facing as a community here today, globally, as a church community, is that Christians have lost their saltiness. That we go about professing Christ. I go to church every Sunday, yet when we go to work, we're the tail. We're afraid. When we go to university, we're ashamed. But we're meant to go into this world as salt and light. There is something that is starkly different between when you have food with salt and food without, isn't there? Isn't it amazing that you can be eating a meal? Now, my wife's an amazing cook, so she's always just cooking perfectly. She's just watching, so I just had to say that. But, you know, it's amazing when you're eating a meal and you just say, this just needs something. You put a bit of salt in, it's just incredible. Isn't it incredible when you go into a dark room and you turn on the light and instantly the atmosphere can shift? That, that, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus Christ in us. There should be a stark disparity between those who are without Christ and those with Christ Jesus. If you believe that, why don't you give God some hand? When some would seek to get, we give. When some hold on to anger, we release forgiveness. When some tear down, we're in our workplaces building up. When everyone is talking negatively about the boss, we're the people that says, no, he's amazing. I believe in him. This company's going forward. You can change the atmosphere of your work environment, of your community, of your university and your schools if we would just live with the light of Christ in our life. As this Jesus, Jesus comes, right? He comes with his whole new message and a whole new way. In fact, originally, uh, the believers were known as people of the way. That's what they were, they were known as. And, and people would recognize them, not just by their confession, but by the way they live their life. By the way they live their life. As the community began to live this way, it initiated a movement that changed the world around them. 
it was radical what was happening. And I believe this, if we as a community of Christ would begin to reflect on our own lives, and maybe over the next seven weeks, we began to line up our own lives with what the Word of God says, how we are to live, I believe there can be a change in our community. I believe there can be a change in our family. I believe there can be a change within our churches. I believe that our churches are going to be filled with hundreds and hundreds of people. Every single campus, every extension service, filled with people coming to Christ every single weekend as we come into the alignment of what it is to live under this new way. It's awesome. So, humility. That's what we're looking at today. Our first attitude that we're, we're going to kind of delve into here. And if you come with me again to Matthew 5, 3, it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amazing. You know, when the Bible says blessed, it means supremely blessed. Well off. More than enough. Not just happy, but happier. It's saying happier. See, see you might be, it's like, it's like you might be happy, Ron, but I'm happier. Not literally, of course, because Ron's a happy man. But, but it's, do you get what I'm trying to say? It's happier are those who are poor in spirit. And when it talks about being poor, it's not just about being restricted. It's not just having a limitation. It's about absolute poverty. He says, blessed are those who are completely lacking. Not in money food or clothing, but in spirit, in the essence of life, in the purpose of life. Blessed are you who are lacking in spirit. For yours, the Bible says, is the kingdom of heaven. See, what Jesus is really saying is blessed everyone, every single person he's talking to right now in this, in this passage and relates to us now. He's saying everyone here is poor in spirit. Whether you realize it or not, you are lacking something that only I can fulfill. He says, blessed are you who not just are poor in spirit, but who realize you're poor in spirit because you are one step away from receiving the kingdom of heaven. When we come in, yeah, you can give God a clap if you'd like to. That's great. Blessed are you when you're lacking. See, see, when we humble ourselves and realize our need for God, He gives us the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is our eternal hope. You can't lose. You can't. Even if He slay me, Job said, yet will I praise Him. Because he had a revelation that I cannot lose. God is for me. Who can be against me? Even if I die, I win because I step into eternity with Him. We have an eternal hope. We have to have faith in this and believe and realize what the ramification of that. But not only do we have an eternal hope, as I said before, Jesus said the kingdom of God is now. We have access to power. We have access to the Spirit. We have access to full joy, to full hope. We are blessed. That's the blessing of God, the access to the kingdom of heaven. It's awesome. So we gain access, a power for our lives, right now, and humility is the realization of our deficiency. <laughs> See, pride will blind us from help. I don't need help. Why, why would I need Jesus? Pride blinds us from help. But humility 
realizes my need for help and makes me eligible to receive that help. You know, in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be submitted to the elders. Clothe yourself with all humility, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. We need to put on humility. God would much prefer you to put on humility yourself and to come to a place daily in our lives where we would say, God, I need you and I need other people. Because the reality on my own life I've noticed is that God will bring you to a place of humility. You can either accept it yourself or you can go, as I often do, the painful journey of realizing your need for humility. When I came back to God 13 years ago, God had to take me on a journey to realize my need for Him. I was holding on to anger and bitterness. I'd grown up in a Christian home. I felt that God had been, I'd been shortchanged, and I was seeing things completely wrong. But I had to get to a point where I was so humbled by my circumstances that all of a sudden I needed God. You know, there's a story, and I believe you guys have been speaking about this quite recently, about the parable of the, lost, of the prodigal son. And Jesus really is describing this uh, in a story, what we're talking about here today. It's a young man who, who, who has a, a father who is a wealthy landowner. And at the time of his coming of age, where he is able to receive his blessing if he likes, he doesn't realize that all of his blessing is wrapped up in that relationship. And out of pride, he says, Dad, I want my money and I'm leaving. Because he thinks outside of that relationship, he can make it on his own and he can do okay and he can actually just live his own life. And so he takes what he's already had from God and he goes out, or the father, but it's really talking about a relationship with God. And he goes out and it says that he quickly loses all of his money, living for what he thought life was about. And he's become so poor, not only financially, but in spirit that he has now degraded himself. He used to be a prince. He used to be a son of somebody. Now he's degraded himself to feeding pigs. And he's so desperately hungry for both acceptance and also food that he's looking at the lifestyle of the pigs saying, maybe I should just hang out here. You know, pride, it kind of puts you in this place of always seeking your needs above others. It's all about my wants and what I need, and where I want to go. And you know what? Pride will give you everything you want, but rob you of everything you need. It will rob you of family. It will rob you of friendships. It will rob you of finances. It will consistently put you in a place where you are seeking things that you think you need while neglecting the things you really need, and you are left with nothing. Nothing. Huh. Thank you. Humility may mean that I have to take the load road, but it's the only road that leads to blessing. It's the only road that leads to blessing. C.S. Lewis said this, the pleasure of pride is like the pleasure of scratching. If there is an itch, one does want to scratch, but it'd be much nicer to have neither the itch nor the scratch. As long as we have the itch of self-regard, 
we shall want the pleasure of self-approval. But the happiest moment are those when we forget our precious selves and have neither, but have everything else, God, our fellow humans, animals, the gardens and the sky instead. It was when the son realized that the true blessing was not what he had financially, in freedom. The true blessing was the relationship he needed with his father. At that moment, it says he humbled himself and decided to return under the hand of his father. True blessing comes when we realize our need for God and by choice, we humble ourselves to live a life surrendered to God and to others. Two quick points I want to cover before we finish here today is this, that humility is secure in its surrender. Secure in its surrender. I'm very much aware of my need for God and for others. Sometimes I get on the pride kind of wagon and feel like I'm doing okay until I kind of run into the next realization that actually I'm really lost without God. And we can hide behind pride and kind of feel like everything's okay and put on a big smile. But man, you know when you've missed it, don't you? You really do. I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for my friends. I'm so thankful for my leaders. And more than anything, I'm so thankful for Christ in my life. Humility begins in my surrender to God. Even Jesus had to surrender. Mark 14, 35, it says, and going a little further, this is just before he is to go to the cross for us. He's praying. It says, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He didn't want to go with this naturally. He didn't want to have to go through the pain. He said, remove this cup from me. But he said, yet not what I will. What you will. What you will. Humility means his way, not mine. His word. His word. What he says over what I feel or what I want. It's his ways over mine where I could take the easy road, I could take the quick road, I could take the pleasure road, I decide no, His way, not mine. I've been crucified with Christ Jesus. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's to recognize my absolute need for Him. Acts 17, 28, for, for in Him we live and move and exist as some of your own prophets have said. Is that a reality for you here today? Are you at a point where you would say, it is only in Him that I live and move and exist? Are you at a place in your life here today where you would say, only Christ is the cause of my life. I can't do anything without Him. If I let go of my life, if I let go of control, the Bible promised me I will find true life. Luke 17, 33 says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Isn't that crazy? you cling to your life, you will lose it. I don't know if you've ever seen someone in a position of pride where they're just clinging on, just just holding on, and you're just hoping that they'll just let go. Because if you let go, you'll save it. It is this dependency in Christ, this, this need for Him, that then creates my identity. And when our security is from God, not people, we are then able to serve others with a pure motive. And here's the key, guys. This is the key. Philippians 2.3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Having the, this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as things to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. If I'm not secure in my relationship and identity from God, I will look for security in people. And the answer to the church, I believe, is this, is that as we lose that need to find value from people, to find acceptance from people, we begin to serve people with the right motive. So suddenly I'm not looking for anything back from people, I'm just sharing the love of Christ. See, the prodigal son was a strong in his opinion of himself. He boldly asked for his portion and then he's left. And it was this pride that got him in trouble. But humility brought him back. But there was another son who stayed around. But it was false humility. It was false. It was prideful. He really stuck around because he was too fearful or lazy to ask for what God had had for him. And out of that position of not knowing who he really was, but just kind of sticking around because he's always been in church, he's always been around, he just had this attitude in his life so that when the son has a true repentance moment, he's not happy, he's angry. You can always tell where your heart is at when you see someone who you know shouldn't be blessed getting blessed. Isn't that the worst? Where you're like, I know that kid. Why is Pastor Phil getting, what the heck is happening here? He's such a, and then I go, whoops. Where's my heart at right now? Where's my, where's my heart at? Whew. True humility, friends, is not weak. It's not weak. It's someone who is confident in their identity in Christ, laying down their own life to serve the needs of others. Jesus did not give, have his life taken from him. He gave it up freely. Don't ever mistake that. Jesus was not murdered. He sacrificed himself. At any point in time, he could have destroyed the world with one word. He gave his life freely because of his identity that he had received from his father. He was secure so he could serve securely. Pastor Phil says this, humility is not servile. When we choose humility, we retain our nobility. I love that. That's where true happiness lies as a son and a daughter of the king. We don't serve because we have to. We get to serve because we want to. We get to serve the people around you. I remember when I, um, before I took on young adults, we, my wife and I were the kids pastors for about four or five years. And um, nothing will teach you serving more than being in the kids ministry. And, and I remember how stinky, looking back, how stinky my attitude was. I thought I was doing okay until they asked me to take on children's ministry. And God took me through a journey, friends, of realizing my own need for God and Christ in my identity. I went from being working for an agency, working uh, with, with some of the most abused and neglected kids in the state, really doing a great job and, and moving forward and really enjoying it. And then Pastor Mark and Bernie asked us to come and work for church and take on the kids ministry. And I would stand at a door and welcome dads as they would walk in and they'd just give me their kids. And I felt this big at times. I felt like I've gone from over here where I was somebody and I knew where I was going and I had value and purpose and now I feel like I'm just nothing. I'm just kind of taking people's kids at the door and they're kind of like grumpy at me when it doesn't go work and, you know, it's just like, what's going on? And then I realized it was not them, it was me. And God reworked my heart for people. He reworked my heart 
and my security in Him. And the answer, the answer to this, com- this, this community, not just Sydney, but this community, your location, your church, the answer is this. Us being so secure in God and so on fire for Him, we can't help but pour out love and serving to our community around us. I'm telling you, in three months, there could be hundreds of people in here if we all would just lay down our own life and serve the people around us. If you haven't brought someone to church for a while, why don't you begin to pray? I don't know if I could do it. It's been a while. I kind of feel like I've done it before, and it's kind of, I've asked them, they said no. I've asked them, they said no. But listen, I'm telling you, when you get the power of prayer on your life and begin to break through in the Spirit for those people and say, no, I'm not coming to church next week without someone. I'm telling you, this church is going to explode as we get filled with the power of God and begin to serve our community around us. Do you believe that, church? Do you really believe that? If you believe that, lift your hand. Just close your eyes. Father God, see these hands here today. Fill them with the power of God, the anointing to bring people into church. God, I pray you release a new anointing and a new spirit on this church that within our Sydney movement, this campus, this location, this church will be known as a soul-winning revival center in Sydney. Father, I thank you for people streaming in into this house, Lord God, as we become confident in who you are and what you've done in our lives, that God, we can serve and love the community around us. Father, I thank you. Fill us, Lord. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. Okay, last point and then we're done. Humility is willing to lose in order to win. Willing to lose in order to win. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. And down to verse 22 it says, To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He's saying I was willing to lose a little in order to win the relationships. And I want to tell you, if you want to have relationships that last, we have to learn to lose the fight to win. We have to learn to lose in order to win. A successful marriage can hinge on the simple decisions, can't it? Letting go. Forgive. Accept their apology. Have an attitude that says, ah, gives them the benefit of the doubt. They didn't mean it building up and complimenting rather than criticizing. It's amazing what can save a marriage. God's given you everything you need to have successful relationships. Absolutely everything. When we let go, and because when we have been given grace to give it out, and we realize that when we're humble in that, if you keep giving grace, you'll be able to keep receiving it. The Bible says give and it will be given to you. The measure in which you give will be restored back to you. If we keep giving grace, it'll come back. I've got a pretty blessed marriage, I must say, a pretty happy marriage. And whenever it's not blessed or completely happy is generally when I have elevated my own desires above God's call for me to love my wife sacrificially. Now, Pastor Ward, because my wife is here, I need to tell you that most of the time she's right. Like 95% of the time she's absolutely right. But there are some occasions, very few, where I am completely convinced that I'm right. And no, don't say amen. None of the husbands should say amen right now. But, 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 but you know what I've realized is that I can hold on in pride. I've done it. I do it all the time. I'm just fuming. I'm like, I'm not. Oh, 
And the Holy Spirit comes to me. And I, I lit, I'm not lying. I literally feel this all the time whenever I'm holding on to something that's frustrating me in our relationship. And he just reminds me. I love you all the time. All the time. I give you grace all the time. I give you acceptance all the time. What are you going to do? And I swallow that prideful thing that can come on men at times. I say, babe, I'm sorry. I don't ask her to say sorry. I'm convinced in my head I'm right. Convinced. Probably delusioned a little bit, but, but I'm convinced nonetheless. And I say, sorry. It is amazing the grace that comes back on our marriage. Not joy, not peace, grace. Grace, his help, his unmerited, undeserved favor that comes on our relationship. Just say sorry. Say sorry. You know, Jesus did not die for me because I was deserving. He died because I was needing. I needed his grace. I needed his love. And although I did not deserve it, before I'd even asked for it, he died and forgave me. Humility can always and should always bridge the gap of disunity that God's blessing may flow. Where there is unity, God commands a blessing. And for some of us here today, our relationships, whether it be our marriages or families or kids, we are in disunity. But humility enables me to bridge that gap in order to blessing to continue to flow into our relationships. There can be healing here today. There can be healing here today. It's a really discouraging day when, when you come up and, and meet the reality of your poverty, the reality of those areas in your life where you don't measure up, the reality of those areas in your world where you are lacking. But it's also one of the most encouraging days, and I met it 13 years ago, that my poverty, according to the world, meant I was lacking, but according to Christ, meant I was eligible for grace. And if you would come with a humble heart, and say, God, I need you, you will be met favor, forgiveness, hope, peace, joy. 